0: Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 11 through 13. And the message entitled, Remember Who You Were. Paul continues focusing on the wealth of the believer, as we've stated until chapter 3. He declared the possession of the believer, focusing on the transaction of redemption in chapter 1. He declared now the position of the believer, focusing on the transition of, Of salvation in chapter 2. The process of salvation. Chapter 2 verse 1 through 10. 1 through 3. His old life. 4 through 10. The new life. The product of salvation is given in verse 11 to 22. 11 to 18. His old citizenship. 19 to 22. His new citizenship. It's laid out for us here. Now chapter 2 gives us a beautiful picture of man's reconciliation to God as well as man. Our new position in Christ, alive in the heavenlies, uh, is given again, verse 1 through 10. In our new relationship in Christ, a new man on earth, in chapter 2, verse 11, down to 22. Paul the Apostle has shared with the Ephesians that they were dead in trespass and sins, following Satan, the world system, living now their sinful lives as children of wrath being disobedient in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. But God had made them alive together with Christ through grace and faith, saving them, having nothing to boast about in chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. And that they also were God's handiwork or workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that were prepared beforehand, that they might walk in them in chapter 2, verse 10. In view of the new relationship of the Gentiles to God, Paul now asks them to never forget their natural position as Gentiles by remembering three things in verse 11 to 13. Let me read here. He says, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time... You were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This new relationship of the Gentiles to God. Paul asks them to never forget their natural position as Gentiles. By remembering three things. here they are. First, remember the Jews looked down on you Gentiles, verse 11. Second, remember the pitiful lost condition of you Gentiles, verse 12. Thirdly, remember your new position as Gentiles, verse 13. We'll go one by one. First, we have the fact to remember the Jews looked down. On the Gentiles. The apostle Paul noticed told them to remember the goodness of God in saving them. That's what he's pointing out. But to realize how good we have it, sometimes we have to see how bad we had it. You know what I mean? <laughs> the words, therefore, remember that you. Paul drew some conclusions from the preceding section here. The word, therefore, as you know, can be translated in different ways because of this, on account of this, or in view of the facts. So it looks back to chapter 2, verse 1, all the way to 10. Paul told them to remember key truths for their life in Christ, key issues. Paul is using the word remember, and it means to be mindful or to recall to one's mind. He's not asking these Galatians or these Gentiles to remember sins of their past lives, particular ones. That's not what he's asking. That would be condemnation and grievous to their lives. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. In Romans 8.1. Paul wanted these Gentiles to remember the things God had done for them by saving them. It's a present imperative that God, in verse 1 of chapter 2, had made them alive who were dead in trespass and sins. So he's asking them to look back. Look where you are now. Look where you were. In verse 2, that they had walked according to the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. And they were to look at where they are now and where they were. In verse 3, that both Jew and Gentile once conducted themselves in the lust of their flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature chilling of wrath as others, reflecting where they were now to where they were. All these things help us to appreciate, to walk humble, to be joyous. Verse 4 and 5, the God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved both Jew and Gentile, even when they were dead in trespass, made them alive together with Christ by grace they had been saved. Verse 6 through 7. The God raised them up together and made them to sit in the heavenly places In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness towards them. In Christ Jesus. And then in 8 and 9. That by grace they had been saved through faith. And that not of themselves. It's a gift of God. Not of lest Any of them should boast. This is a very key thing to remember. Where I am. Where I used to be. And how I got here. I have no claim to it. And then in verse 10, that both Jew and Gentiles, are workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All of these things, Paul is saying, recall, remember. Paul was recalling the goodness of God by saving them that would result in some important things in their spiritual lives by asking this. There are many, but let me give you at least three. In order that they be thankful, as they reflected about verse 1 through 3, how dead they were in trespass and sins. Thankful that they were now alive. Secondly, in order to walk humble, verse 4 down to 9. How he had made them but God. He did it. And then thirdly, in order to stay usable, verse 10. That he created me for these good works. He created the works for me. And so, looking back again is on what I used to be, not particular sins, but how lost, how dark I was. There is no darker passage in Scripture than this one, particularly in the next verse about lost man. It's heartbreaking. You and I used to be there. This would bring peace and joy to their lives as they remembered these things and realized what they were and what they were doing. Now, notice the Apostle Paul told them to remember the prejudice against them by the Jews. This is also good. Because, see, God is not prejudiced. See, people may be. People may look down upon you, but God didn't look down upon them. You understand? And this is the joy of it. Once you understand that, then you could care less about people. (laughs) Paul used the phrase Gentiles in the flesh to refer that they were distinct and separate people from the Jews. The word ones refers to their past life without Christ. God in the Old Testament saw mankind in two groups, as you know. The Jews as people of faith by Abraham, the nation of Israel. Then the Gentiles, not his people, the nations of the Gentiles. The word Gentile, ethnos, appears 160 times in the New Testament. A 100 times it is used for people distinct from the Jews. We get our word ethnic from it. Same word. The word is used in this context, as Paul's making reference by the Jews, in a very derogatory way, you Gentiles. It's looking down on them, it's derogatory. The Jews believed Gentiles were created for hell to be fueled. The prejudice between Jew and Gentile was so... Strong, so deep. As you look at the history, Jews were prohibited to aid a gentile woman in childbearing. If Jews if a Jew married a Gentile, a funeral was carried out for them. If an Orthodox Jew today hears that their son or daughter has become a Christian, first thing they will do is they will tear their clothes. To shamble themselves, then they're going to have a full-blown funeral for them. If a Jew entered a Gentile's home, they would be unclean. We think that today prejudice is bad. It's always been around. You're going to find some people that are prejudiced against your race, your color, um, Whatever it may be. But you just have to make sure that you're not like them. And you've got to remember that God is not. That's important. But notice the Jews also called the Gentiles on to indicate that they were not in the covenant with God like them. So they were exalting themselves while looking down on them, right? Welcome to the world who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. The term again is used in a derogatory manner here to exalt the Jew above the Gentile. Gentiles in the flesh uncircumcised. They lack the physical surgery that link them with Abraham and Israel, the sign of covenant that Paul speaks about in Romans 4.11. When Peter went into the house of Cornelius, you remember in Acts eleven three, and um, he went back to Israel to Jerusalem and retold the whole thing. Um, they said, "You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them." Yeah. <laughs> Who was I to forbid God? As I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit was given unto them, and they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, and there are saviors like you and I. Peter's hungry, they're at Joppa, and he gets that vision, and the Lord says, Take kill and eat. He says, Not so, Lord. That's a contradiction. He says, Don't you ever call defile or unclean what I have cleansed? And he was preparing to go to the house of Cornelius, as the doors were going to be open to the Gentiles. The covenant of circumcision was given to Abraham, as you know, in Genesis seventeen. By the way, it's interesting, that covenant was given shortly after Abraham and Sarah had um, tried to help God out to have a son through Hagar. And I don't think it's coincidence that he had um, his sexual organ operated on. That's what caused him trouble. It's still causing us trouble today. The descendants of Ishmael. It's interesting. And there in 17, he said that every male child and every homeborn or slave was to be circumcised, including Abraham. It represented the cutting off of the flesh life to walk with God. The flesh life will only produce sin in your life and bring trouble to your lives, all of us. The Jews that we're looking down on the uncircumcised here are called the circumcision made in flesh by hands. So it's a ritual that is done by another person, by physical hands. This phrase exposed their self-righteousness and lost condition, though born Jews into the covenant. While they were looking down on the Gentiles, Paul is causing the Gentiles to remember While they were looking down on you, they were no nearer to God than than you, even though they had the covenant and the promises because they were self-righteous and misrepresented the covenant. Wow. They had gone through the physical operation of um, cutting away the flesh, but they were still depending solely on the ritual now without living for God. And so it was irrelevant. What God was really interested was the circumcision of the heart. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, Jeremiah 4, 4, and many other passages. Uh, The prophets cried, don't rent your clothes, rent your heart. Don't circumcise your flesh, circumcise your heart. Cut off that flesh stuff. Cut off the stuff that draws you away from me. That's what he's talking about. Now remember, the Ephesians The church is made up of mostly Gentiles, not Jews, though there are some Jews. And you think that Paul is trying to start a fight. He's not, because he's going to move on. Jew and Gentile are one. They can both sit there and listen to this stuff, and they'll both be saying, amen, because they're no longer faithful to their race, to their culture. They're faithful to Christ so they can take the stuff that is thrown in their face as sin in the past and they don't get upset. They say, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Jew and Gentile one. Very, very important. It's like an orphan child <clears throat> in poverty who would be looked down by some well-to-do kids, right? Right? Make fun of him for his shabby clothes or because his shoes had holes and he put the cardboard in them. I used to do that when I was a little. <laughs> get a hole in your shoe, you cut out your foot of the cardboard, stick it in there. Make it last a little longer. And so, th- this is human sinfulness. You can't get away from it. The majority of the church today is made up of Gentiles, though there are some Jews who have accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior. They call him completed Jews. Each of us must never forget our lost condition and what Jesus saved us from. It's, um, it's not that hard to get down the road a little bit of distance and all of a sudden say, Well, I wasn't that bad. No, you're right. You're horrible. Because we seem to look at our lives with colored glasses. And what happens is we start exalting ourselves above others. It's just innate in us. You've got to fight it. Each of us will then respond in a grateful and thankful attitude for God's grace as we remember what we were. Thanking Him, Lord, thank you for saving me, pulling me out of the pit. Thank you for forgiving me for the sins, and for not, and for saving me when you did, so I wouldn't have done worse things, or more things, or gotten in deeper over my head. You put a stop to my life. First Thessalonians two thirteen says, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men. But as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. How thankful we are for some of you as God has saved you. How thankful we are for what God has done in your life. You're an example to us. How thankful we are that God saved us <laughs> years ago. It's one of the greatest privilege we have to thank God for our salvation. The one may bear the physical operation of circumcision. There is no enabling power to resist sin before Christ or after Christ, even if one is circumcised. The flesh master says there's no power in the physical surgery. It's the circumcision of the heart again. Being born again, dying to self, bringing your thoughts into captivity, putting on the armor, remembering who you were, and being so thankful to what God has done for your life. Paul refused to yield to the ritual of circumcision for Titus and the Gentiles at Antioch, that as the Jews came. And required that they be circumcised to be saved. In Acts 15, 24, they went down to Jerusalem and said, not in your life. He was not going to have Christianity to be an extension of Judaism. Not at all. Yet, he circumcised Timothy, who was a Jew. Because his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. And Paul was going to take him in Acts 16, 13 with him. And, of course, Pauls always went to the synagogues. And they knew his mother was a Jew. It would be a stumbling block for the Jews. But certainly Paul never did that to any of the Gentile converts. So Paul was not being hypocritical. He was being very, very wise. Colossians 5, 6 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avail so anything but faith working through love. Colossians two eleven And him... You were you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. See the Jews made with hands. We, the believer, most of us Gentiles, without hands, um, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. He warned. The Philippians in chapter 2, verse, back chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. He's talking about the Jewish uh, uh, religious men. For we are the circumcision who worships God in spirit, rejoicing in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. These men were Grasping on the ritual. I'm a Jew. I'm born a Jew. I'm born into the covenant. I've been circumcised. I've been dedicated. I've done this. I've done that. All of that means nothing. Paul says it's a pile of manure. For the righteousness and excellence of Jesus Christ. So remember the Jews. Look down on you Gentiles. Paul says. Because You'll be so grateful to God that he does not. <laughs> That's good. Secondly, in verse 2, it says, Remember the pitiful lost condition of you Gentiles. The apostle Paul told them to remember they had been Christless. That at that time you were without Christ. Paul continued to indicate that he's speaking about the time prior to their conversion by the phrase, at that time. The word time, kairos, indicates a very specific period or season when they were without Christ. Confirming their Gentile in the flesh. Status and the decision of circumcision against them in a very derogatory way. So this was where they were at. They they were looked down upon by man and had nowhere in any way, shape or form any relationship with Christ. Paul is referring to Christ, Christ was the Messiah, the anointed of God. Um, Jesus was God, but he was also man. 100% God, 100% man, yet without sin. And Paul is stating they were without him. In men, they were cut off from God. Um, having no access, the word without means apart or separated. Um, we might use the word segregated in a way. They were put off to the side, they had no access. But The Jews looked down on the Gentiles and self-righteous. God had them separated because God is holy and they were in sin. So God's separation is because of his holiness, not because he looks down on you or anybody else. Until sin is dealt with, every person is separated from Christ. It's very important to understand that. The Gentiles had no connection to God, not having Christ. And the Gentiles were engulfed in absolute darkness regarding God or the things of God. Notice the apostle Paul also told them to remember they had been stateless. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, uh, Paul told the Gentiles they were aliens having no access as Israel. Israel had a priesthood. Israel had sacrifice. Israel could could have a go between them, but but not the Gentiles. The word alien means to shut out Uh, or exclude from a person's fellowship. The same one in chapter 4, later on, verse 18, um, it reads, um, uh, Having their understanding uh, darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Alienated from the life of God, that goes hand in hand, not being connected to Christ. Paul told the Gentiles the right to have a high privilege of the, na- of the nation of Israel uh, being excluded from many other things. The Gentiles didn't have that. So Israel had this high privilege, um, but the Gentiles didn't have it as a nation in citizenship. The Gentiles neither had been chosen by God as a nation, nor had they the right of Israel. No blessing, no protection, no provision, no direction, no perception of spiritual things. That's how dark a description it is for these Gentiles and everyone else who doesn't know Christ today. You know, you may look at a person and see that they, you know, they look healthy and they're in good shape and man, it looks like they're doing good in a job and, you know, and they drive a nice car and, you know, and everything else, but they're lost. They're utterly lost without Jesus Christ. And, and when God looks at them, he doesn't see them uh, as all right. Um, because they they are lacking what God made them for himself. Israel means he shall be a prince of God. God gave it to Jacob, as you know, he'll catch him. When he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, fearing the confrontation with his brother Esau in Genesis 32:28, no longer looking and depending on himself, but God, So he touched his hip, causing him to limp, in Genesis 32:31 and 32. Jacob was a very conniving man, very resourceful, very able to get out of things. Always, you know, uh, that's why I call him a heel catcher, a, a conniver, a flim-flam man. And uh, God fixed him good. Um, he probably was going to try to run from his brother and God touched his hip. And now he came out limping. He couldn't run. He had to trust God, depend upon him. Notice the Apostle Paul told him also to remember that they had been friendless and strangers from the covenant of promise. Paul stated the Gentiles were strangers, foreigners, not familiar with the covenants God made with promise. The word covenant, as you know, it means a disposition or arrangement of any sort. By two parties or more. Often having stipulated conditions for rights, benefits as well as consequences if conditions are not met. Basically a contract is kind of a covenant that you make and they make the conditions of of what you're going to buy and what you're going to pay and how long you're going to pay and if you don't, this is what's going to happen. It's kind of a covenant, a contract. Now, the Old Testament manner was through sacrifice, and that animal was divided in half, put one on one side, one on the other, and the two parties would walk through the middle of it, and the blood would seal it, and the parties who walked through it were responsible to keep that covenant. If two parties walked through, they were both responsible. If only one party walked through, that person was responsible. So, that's the way they did it. And uh, we've gone through some of these, and Genesis fifteen eight through 21, God made a covenant with Abraham, and he did exactly that. He told him to go get some animals and sacrifice them, divide them. And, um, and Abraham then just kind of looked upon him and shooed the birds away. And as he was kind of falling asleep, he saw a, a, a small burning flax coming through, and it was God who walked through the covenant he made, and only God walked through it. So God is the only one responsible to keep the covenant, to bring it to pass the promises he gave. Abraham didn't walk through it. We also get that in Jeremiah 34, 18. As uh, God recalls the people for their failure to keep the covenant which they had walked through. Again, the animal divided and separated. And the word of covenant has the idea of cutting in the Hebrew. Uh, Paul indicated the word covenant in the plural. Notice that. So God made a covenant with Noah that he would not destroy the world through uh, flood again, and um, and he gave him a token of the rainbow in Genesis chapter nine verse eleven through sixteen. That's a great promise. God made a covenant when he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldean Genesis twelve one through three. In verse one, he says, "Now the Lord God the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you." Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. Verse 3, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promised all this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. God is the one that was going to fulfill it. That's why Abraham rested in God. But one time he tried to help God, he got himself in trouble. God didn't speak to Abraham, I believe, for 13 years after that, between those two chapters a 13-year time. God continued to expand and enlarge the covenants to Abraham, as you know, confirming it to Isaac and Jacob Genesis. 25 on down to chapter 32 and on, as the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, looked to God and built the altars, and he uh, promised unto them what he would do. Not Ishmael, Isaac, not Esau, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. God gave the book of the covenants to Moses and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, in Exodus 24, as they're there on the Mount Sinai. And God gave them the Ten Commandments and all the law and um, began to lead them into the promised land. But they rebelled and they they fell short of the covenant, not trusting God. So they uh, journeyed for 40 years in the wilderness when it was only an 11-day journey. Sometimes that's the story of some Christians. It only takes 11 days to get through this thing, but you've been at it for 40 years. And um, the wilderness is not fun. The wilderness is a very lonely place, (laughs) very hot, very dangerous. Then notice Paul the Apostle told them to remember they had been hopeless Having no hope. Wow. Is he trying to depress them? (laughs) No. He's trying to build them up. He's trying to exude from them an appreciation and a love for God. Of being so overjoyed for all that God has done for them. Paul uses the word hope which means confident expectation. This does not mean the Gentiles had no expectations of the future as they lived and planned, because everyone does, even those who don't know God or anything else. They have plans, they have uh, hopes of the future, and they work towards them. And there are many people that move through life with plans and hopes and dreams and often accomplish them, but these only serve them here and now not once you take your last breath so the priority of the believer is that i'm going to be in heaven one day and that i focus on that and that i make my decisions based on earth based on where i'm going to spend eternity and not simply put all my eggs in one basket here and think that well i'll take care of it later and that's always a big mistake Paul is referring to the more valuable hope, the spiritual one here. They didn't have it. The context is dealing with salvation on earth with a sure hope of spending eternity with God. Remember, you didn't have what you have right now. If you had in the past as a Gentile, uncircumcised, what you have now as a Gentile in Christ, you wouldn't have had to be saved. (laughs) simple they as Gentiles had no hope in view of all that had been said about their pitiful condition in the world very dark and then Paul the apostle told them to remember they had been godless and without God in the world Paul reminded the Gentiles about the total ignorance that they had about God, literally saying they had no real knowledge of God. See, a lot of people think they know about God, but if what they know about God is not what the Bible says about God, then what they believe they know about God is really not true about God. (laughs) So a lot of people are functioning under misinformation, wrong information, partial information. About God. Many of these Gentiles were religious. If you. In your prior life. If you were raised. As the average American was. 50. 40. 50 years ago. There was religion. As part of the family. Doesn't mean that you were. Holy. It just meant that you. Had some form of belief. And that's just the way it was. Now the rule is. Everybody's an atheist. Agnostic. Or. I think that they fell off a tree or polywog or something. But um, there was a time when people had brains. Um, they served many gods. Many of the gods were fertility gods. Um, as I look to our culture, and I look at all the stuff that's going on in our culture, we're going back to backwards, to not to be refined, but to be uh, more rustic, more uh, um, barbaric in many different ways. Um, there's no refinement. There's no desire to be polished. There's no desire to uh, get educated. It's it's just you know um, you know these they sell hamburgers with a beautiful girl there grabbing a big um, mac or whatever you know, and she just bites into that baby and she's just all over, ketchup and everything else, and she's supposed to be sexy or something, you know. But um, I guess that's where people are at today. Um, call her a babe, in my day they call her a pig, but, you know, um, different world we live in. Paul told the Gentiles that their life practices were distortions, corruptions, of the true and living God in the world. True knowledge of God comes from his revelation through the scriptures. Nowhere, no place else. 1 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 and 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Uh, expired from God. All scripture. Um, inerrant, infallible. The men of old didn't speak as they were moved by their own impulse or origin. But as the Holy Spirit carried them. So that what you possess as God. And they're an infallible word, that you receive it as the word of God, not the words of men, even as the Thessalonians declare, The revelation of God comes through Jesus Christ only. John one eighteen says no one has revealed or seen the Father except Jesus Christ. He reveals the Father. Jesus is the one who brings us to the Father, John 14.6, no one else. He's that mediator. He's the one that's being mentioned all over in this book. Of Ephesians. In Christ, by Christ, through Christ, in Christ, whom Christ, all this. It's all Christ. The Gentiles were like a man without a passport, unable to enter the USA. (laughs) If you don't have a passport, you can't enter in. Well, used to be. Again, I have to be careful with the illustrations anymore because things are changing. Um, But um, usually, you can't get into a country. Unless you have a passport to get in. And uh, the Gentiles did not have the passport to heaven. Until Christ saved them. This um, description of lost man is one of the bleakest and darkest in scriptures I said earlier. You You can't read these three verses. And not thank God for your life. The life of your wife and your children and your friends and your loved ones who are saved out of this bleak, dark, gloomy condition. Each of us were without Christ, being blind and dead spiritually. Each of us were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel having no right um, because we were governing our own lives. We were masters of our own ship. Each of us were strangers on unfriendly terms regarding the covenant of promise having no access i remember um when i got hit on my bike head on in 1969 and i was in a coma for about 12 days and um as i was recovering after i came through i went to the catholic church because i was raised catholic and walked in and you know got some dirty water and made the sign of the cross and Went up to the front and I lit a candle and I knelt down. I said, "God, thank you very much. I just know I'm alive because of you." Now I meant it. I meant it, but I wasn't. I wasn't one with God because the following week I came down the same street in my Volkswagen, drinking a you know, beer as I'm driving. And when I now you cross the church, I'd put it down to make some of the cross. And when I passed it, I'd drink a beer again. No big deal. Religious and change my life, each of us were without hope, serving our flesh, believing we would um uh, farewell in the ultimate judgment. I'm not that bad I'm not bad as. John, and, and we really believe that, yeah, but I think if I balance it out, I, I've done some good stuff. Each of us without God in the world, shaping and molding God after our own image. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 23, read it. When they knew God, they didn't want to glorify him as God, but they changed the image of uh, uh, they shaped them in birds and four-footed beasts and changed the natural use of the woman, the man, and corrupting the creation of God. Corrupting God himself by corrupting the creation. If I don't serve and acknowledge the creation of God as he has designed it, I am actually corrupting God because he's the creator of all. So I, I mold and shape the God after me. I have eyes so I get a little God and I put eyes on him and I put ears on him and hands and little feet and, and you know, I put him up on an altar and then there's an earthquake and he falls and breaks his neck and I got to get some crazy glue and fix him up. Well, if he's God, then he should be taking care of me. Why am I gluing them together? So the psalmist in Psalm 115, fourth race says, they have eyes, they can't see, they have hands, they can't handle, they have feet, they can't walk and those that worship them Become just like them, insensate, blind, deaf, and paralyzed regarding the things of God. Idolatry is big. The Catholic Church pushes idolatry to the max. The Catholic Church is strong right now coming back. Pleading to the wayward Protestants to come back to the Mother Church. With... Uh, with Colson and going back to Catholic Church after being born again, that began the big merger with the Catholic Church, with many Protestants, liberal Protestants. And so again we just corrupted the things of God. The transformation of lost man can only come by repentance through Jesus Christ. Christ is said to be our living hope in first Peter one three. Christ is our hope in spite of death in First Thessalonians four thirteen. Christ is the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27. It's him and him alone. So remember the pitiful lost condition of you Gentiles. What will that do? It will cause me to just thank God. It will cause me to so value my life. Thirdly, he says, remember your new position as Gentiles. He brings them home. <laughs> the Apostle Paul reminded the Gentiles of their blessed transition. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off. Paul pointed out the sharp contrast by the word but. They were once Gentiles in the flesh, as verse 11 said. They were once called by the Jews on circumcision uh, who were um, by the uncircumcision, by the circumcision, verse eleven, also, and they were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and the strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope without Christ in the world. Verse twelve. So Paul pointed out the change of time of their life. The word "now" indicates the present, in contrast to the past. So he's taking them back. Look. Look how far he's brought you. Now look where you're at. Look at the place you're at. Look at the safety. Look at the blessing. Look at the high privilege. Look at the knowledge, the wisdom, the light, the friends, the relationships, the ability to appreciate the world. Once, verse 11, at that time, verse 12, and verse 13, now. <laughs> he wants them to live in the present, but to never forget about the past. Now, if you understand what Paul is saying, you know he's not talking about focusing on sin or living in the past. But to be so aware of how much God has done for our lives, the difference was brought about in Christ Jesus, reminding them again, "You who were once afar off. It means at a distance at a great way once again, you as emphatic, having no contact or relationship with God. And so the Apostle Paul reminded the Gentiles of the marvelous token of their propitiation. Listen. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul called their attention to the divine act of salvation as the Gentiles. They had been brought near to God. The word brought there means to come into existence, to begin to be. Prior to being a Christian, I was alive physically. I talked, I laughed, I went places. But I was dead in the eyes of God. Absolutely dead to the truth of God and to the life of God. The contrast cannot be missed, the far off brought near. All by the grace of God through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. They had been changed radically. They went from darkness to light, from sinners to saints, from lost to found, from being dead to being alive. No longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, verse 19 says. Same word for strangers, but now in the positive. Paul called their attention. To the divine blood that made it all possible, the blood of Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, yet without sin. Knowing that you will redeem with corruptible things, or not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 tells us. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. The lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus Christ in John one twenty nine. Every sacrifice of the Old Testament were prophetic of Christ. The entire Old Testament spoke of, script- of, of Christ in the scriptures. That red thread. All of it based on blood and sacrifice and death in the place of others. The first animal in Genesis 3.21, God killed to cover the sins of Adam and Eve and their nakedness. Leviticus 17.11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it to you as as a token for an atonement for sin on the altar. When they give you a blood transfusion, they're giving you life. The blood, the life of the flesh is in the blood, it carries the oxygen, the nutrients, everything to every part of your body. Paul opened up the letter in chapter 1, verse 7, like this In him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Wow. It would be as if an injured person was shown how far he was carried to safety by another person, realizing he owed his life to that person. And you know that when that happens, there's a a bond for life in many, many relationships like that. Certainly it happens often when men go off to war. But there are times when there is an accident or an incident where you are allowed to intervene and you will be the sole person responsible that that person continues to live. And when that person understands the gravity and the certainty of their death, except you weren't there, There is a very great appreciation and there will be a great bonding and a connection. Guaranteed. This is what Paul is seeking to exude from them. That we be so bond to Jesus, realizing that if it wasn't for him, we would still be dead. We don't have to worry about what people used to think about us, who looked down upon us. We just have to remember and realize that God did not... And that God saved us in spite of the fact of who we were. Wow. Do you realize how blessed you are that you are saved? As you live and see the corruption of people all around you, some of your friends, some of your loved ones, some of your family members, you got saved, they did not. They continued and sin as you see the destruction that people bring on themselves and you know that it can be averted you know that they can have such a such a glorious life in christ as you realize if it were not for the grace of god you would be in the very same place or worse I'll put it this way, Second Corinthians nine fifteen. Thank be to God for his indescribable gift. In that passage, he's talking about the money that the Thessalonians had given. He's telling the Corinthians about their offering. And then he says, but, you know, what should we say about God's indescribable gift? When you think of what God gave for us and you're talking about money, you kind of get put down, right? How do you compare them? For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 28. Do you value and appreciate the privilege of coming before God at any time you want or whenever you have a need? Jesus bids all to start by repenting. He says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, That's the start. Only the start. As God knocks on the door of your heart, if you're lost, if you don't know Jesus tonight, that you might come to him, acknowledge him as God, and that you are estranged from God because of sin, and that he alone can deliver you from your sin. Jesus bids all of us to continue to depend upon him, even in Hebrews four fourteen through 16 says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, with freedom of speech literally, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 24-7, heaven's open. No matter where you are. No matter what is going on in your life and mind, He's ready to hear. He's ready to receive us into his throne. And minister to us. Paul says, remember your new position as Gentiles. Gives them a very solid perspective. And so in view of the new relationship of the Gentiles to God, Paul has asked them to never forget their natural position as Gentiles by remembering these three things. Remember the Jews look down upon you, Gentiles. Gentiles. But you might say, but God did not. Remember the pitiful lost condition of you Gentiles. And remember your new position as Gentiles. And so as you drive home tonight and you reflect on where God brought you from, how long you've been walking, how far he's brought you, that should just... Make your day. (laughs) If that doesn't make your day, nothing will. Father, thank you for your goodness and your love. We thank you for tonight, for your word. And Lord, we do pray. You continue to teach us and to press us towards the mark. Lord, we thank you for everyone present. We pray that you would speak to their hearts. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Lord, that you would uh, knock on the door of their heart, they would open their heart to you and call on your name. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved. Maybe you're over the internet. If you believe that Jesus God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, then God says you can call upon him to forgive you, and he will change your lives. If this is your desire, your decision, this is your prayer to the Lord, not to us, but to the Lord. You can repeat it right where you said, "Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.